Hi, welcome to Expert Talks. This is the interview series with thought leaders in the analytics, AI, and transformation space. My name is Mahadevan Ayer, Maha for short. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Intelligent Marketplace for On-Demand Actionable Analytics. I'm your host for today. Our guest for today is Rob Hand. Rob is the founder and CEO of Hand Promotion Management, which provides advisory services and transformation consultation in the area of trade promotion management, retail execution, and revenue growth management across multiple domains. Rob, prior to starting Hand Promotion Management, has had an illustrious career spanning Capgemini, Oracle, SAP, and Medianet. He is also author and publisher of a book, The Invisible Economy of Consumer Engagement. Rob, thank you so much for making time and joining us for this chat. Good to be here with you, Maha. Great, great seeing you. Thanks. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for making time. So my first question is, uh, firstly, I read uh, The Invisible Economy, and uh, I must compliment you that it's written beautifully in very simple and easy to understand manner. And for someone like me who doesn't come from a CPG or FMCG background, uh, it was, you know, very easy to understand. Uh, so, so thank you for writing the book. Thank so, you. So what prompted you to write the book in the first place? Timing. Um... It's an interesting time. Uh, I've been in this business for a very long time, and this is this is the first time, and I think in the probably in the history of channel incentives of any kind, that the the C level is focused on trade promotion, um, and that's across all of the individual uh, sectors of consumer products, right? Fast moving consumer goods, CPG, durables, fashion. Uh, consumer electronics, all of these areas are are uh, experiencing a very high amount of growth. Also, um, it is a it, it it is a need I think right now for people to understand what this is all about because of the amount of money that's involved. It's the second largest line item uh, on the corporate uh, balance sheet for most consumer packaged goods company, and um, and the spending is extremely high. So. The financial need is there, um, and traditionally, I think that that trade promotion has not lived up to its potential. I guess I'm it's, it's a bit of an understatement, but um, a couple of things that were going on. Number one is that the the pandemic has actually created a situation where we're more focused on the consumer, the shopper, than we've ever been. OK, and number two is that the um, the mix of marketing messages and the mix of shopping um, targets, meaning where am I going to buy my products, has changed significantly. And so during this particular time, I've I've been asked by a lot of my colleagues to um, leverage my background and domain expertise and write a book. Um, it's been about 30 years since the last book of any kind has been written on trade promotion, and I don't think, I don't think any book has ever been written that covers the breadth of um, trade promotion management, execution, analytics, and and uh, revenue growth that I did. So I think it's it's a good time for the book. 
and and certainly it's been popular and certainly it has proven that um, it's a need in the marketplace. So thank you for reading it. Oh, uh, absolutely. And I think, like you said, uh, it covers the breadth of, uh, you know, the entire trade promotion management space, um, you know, right from trade promotion management to, you know, analytics to execution to, uh, you know, revenue growth management and, and very, very nicely and easy to understand manner. Thank you. So, uh, you know, in terms of uh, the cost line item, and I read in your book that uh, possibly it's around 19 to 20 percent of, you know, uh, sales of a CPG or FMCG company is spent on trade promotion. And maybe in some cases it's, uh, you know, also 30 percent, nearing 30 percent, right? So what, uh, and, and there are multiple terminologies used called a trade channel incentive. If somebody calls it co-op uh, advertising, uh, right? Somebody uh, calls it in, in terms of, you know, uh, retail or distributor, uh, you know, market funding. Now, what does it really consist of? Well, I think that that the best way to say that is that it, the money covers uh, the tactics and the activities that are used to attract the consumer's interest, right? Um, we just completed the 2022 survey on trade promotion. Um, and what we found was that this is well over 300 uh, executives from consumer products manufacturers. Uh, what we found out was that 62% of the trade spending itself is actually on some form of a price reduction. Now, what that usually generates for a consumer is a uh, shelf tag that says, 20 cents per can discount or buy one, get one free or what, whatever the, the, the makeup of the uh, price reduction is. But it also applies to the actual uh, discount that the manufacturer is giving the reseller, the retailer to actually sell the product. So on the, in the front end wholesale purchase of the product. But we also, we also saw through this survey that almost 20%, well, 19% of the promotion uh, spend is on display. That's what it looks like in the store, right? So on shelf or end cap or in the aisle or wherever um, the displays are. And then 14% um, would be for advertising. So feature advertising, in-store flyers, those kinds of things, not coupons. Coupons, national advertising, that's usually what's done in a direct consumer or the corporate marketing sense. But the um, the amount of money that's spent has has in fact increased. Um, as you said, some of the largest consumer packaged goods, fast moving consumer goods companies can spend as, as high as 30% of their gross revenue. So it's big dollars. Yeah, that's quite big. And the fact that coupons are not even included, if you add that, that could be even substantially more. Could be, yes. Nice. So uh, a Nielsen study uh, recently indicated that possibly 70, 71% of, you know, uh, trade promotions really you know, don't deliver and are uh, possibly called failures, uh, right? Uh, so what are some of the reasons, uh, you know, that uh, that that drives this type of failures as in you know given the level of uh, you know 
can't analytics or any other way of approaching this improve the level of optimization on this? So it's it's an interesting factor that that on the one hand you say this is the second largest line item in the corporate financial uh, financials, but it fails more than fifty percent of the time, as you said. Nielsen actually came out last year with a number that was as high as 70, 71%. So yeah, that's that's pretty tragic sounding. But if you break it down, the problem that exists is that most, most key account managers and sales reps who control the trade promotion funding see that as a purpose for driving the sell in. In other words, the, trying to get the best volume incentive deal they can get to get product out the door and meet their forecast. Um, it's not to say they don't care about the eventual success or failure of their promotion, but it's generally not top of mind. Um, and that's that's unfortunate because even though they may have have been successful in getting the volume and the revenue and the profitability that they wanted in the in the immediate sell-in, the retailer takes the ball and runs it and says, okay, now I'm going to execute this promotion and hopefully I'm going to sell as much of the product as I bought from you or more, including what I have in inventory. And that just hasn't been happening for a variety of reasons. I think what the the, the top key reasons I think are uh, number one is that the um, the the promotions don't hit the mark for the consumer, right? Number two, a lot of stock issues happen. There's out of stocks in at least two or three days sometimes of a seven-day promotion. Um, number three is that the data that is used to do these optimization that you're talking about, and we can talk a little bit about that later, but that's not that great. Um, and so that's a problem. And then number four, I think, is is marketing alignment. It's not you're you're not actually talking to the consumer. You're trying to build a sell-in, and that and leaving it up to the retailer to actually approach the uh, shopper consumer. Interesting. Now you know, like you said, the trade channel uh, incentives or trade promotion incentives are typically used for sell-in, and uh, you know maybe around 20% of auto and it's typically in most CPG and FMCG companies, uh, it is twice that of the spend on consumer marketing, right? And, and the consumer marketing folks typically have been focused on understanding their end consumer and building the, you know, the product brand uh, with the consumers, right? Uh, for, for better market reach and visibility. Now with, uh, you know, uh, digital commerce coming in, um, there is a, significant portion of the consumer marketing that is also getting spent on digital and e-coupons to try and get consumers to adopt uh, you know the the e-commerce or digital channels of the particular CPG or FMCG company which essentially means that uh, the 10% odd which was available for the brand building efforts is now getting split right so how do you see CEOs and CXOs looking at this particular thing? Because it looks like uh, the amount of money that were available for brand building, consumer marketing brand building is shrinking and it is more is getting transferred to the sales process, so to speak. So, you know, so what are your thoughts on that? So this is a this is one of those problems that I said was a, a direct result of um, of failing promotion or driving a failing promotion. Marketing alignment has not been one of the, the leading factors over the last 
probably three decades of trade promotion planning. Um, that's done uh, within the organization, the sales organization, uh, maybe operations and so forth. But it is typically done apart from what the corporate marketing people do in their promotion calendar, right? And the, the, the devastation that occurs when you don't have that alignment is that you can end up doing more damage to your brand in the marketplace than you, than you would success because you can have conflicts. You can have a coupon that says one thing and a trade promotion that one of your top retailers is doing that says something else. The, the, the number one problem for a consumer that, that can stop them from buying the product other than being out of stock is being confused or not understanding the promotion. Now, this is, as I said, the driving factor for trade promotion has typically been to get the sell in. This is why it's changing. And the good news is a lot of the manufacturers out there are actually beginning to change their sales compensation formulas to include some aspect of the metrics for a successful promotion, which I'm really glad to see. Because now what will happen is there's there's something more than just getting the, the forecasted volume uh, deal done, right? I have to make sure that the tactics, the activities um, are the right ones to approach. Now, the retailer has some responsibility in that, okay? And they do take it. The merchandising people feed the buyers with the right amount of information. The buyer knows what to, to ask, which is one of the reasons why a lot of the uh, trade deals end up being more what the retailer wants than what the, what the uh, sales rep planned. That's a good thing. Uh, because you would expect a retailer would know the consumer better. However, within the manufacturer community, the, the people who know the consumer best are the marketing, corporate marketing. They're doing the, the focus groups and they're doing the research. They know when that consumer shops, where they go and how they go. And I think that, that sharing that data is critical and it's, and it's just, being, um, just being done for a CEO, a CXO to be able to um, understand how to do that. I think it all boils down to uh, one of the main reasons why you're seeing revenue growth management elevated in the corporate organization chart now. And that's because it makes sense to bring all that under one roof and to have one leadership and one directive. And that way you can actually focus on revenue growth, profitability, and consumer engagement all at once in the, in the, uh, in the integrated business planning process. Um, in addition to that, that, that enables, and especially a CEO um, can drive this, to demand more collaborative planning between marketing and sales so that your trade calendars and your corporate marketing calendars begin to merge and begin to um, align perfectly. Then you've got the right message to the consumer. You got the, the, it doesn't matter whether the message is done through a sports broadcast and national advertising or through a trade promotion. It's the same message. It's the same directive. And that's what assures uh, success in the, in the promotion uh, itself. Rob, you know, typically the grocery retailers have, you know, had average net profit margins in the range of 1 to 2.5 percent, right, in 2020 and possibly, you know, over the last few years, right? And the incentives that they get from uh, trade promotion management uh, is, is, you know, contributes substantially to their profitability. So right. given this background and the fact that this has been almost institutionalized now for the last so many years, 
what is the incentive for retailers to provide a level of transparency and data to CPG and FMCG companies? Well, first of all, higher profitability and, re and revenue. <laughs> um, because if you think about it, they are the they are the first recipient of the failure of a promotion, right? So if that promotion fails in their store, what it says is that the consumers purchasing uh, volumes that they expected from that promotion did not happen, right? Uh, for a lot of reasons, but I, I think um, necessarily not blaming the retailer for all of this. The key thing here is for um, the promotions to be smarter than they have been. And so if they if the if the key account managers and the re, and the the sales reps are focusing so much on the sell in and what I got to get to get my volume numbers up, then they're not thinking about the promotion. Um, that's half of the decision process that makes a promotion work. So if you if you see how the possibility of three-way collaboration, for example, between the retailer, the retailer's merchandising and marketing teams, as well as the manufacturer's sales reps and marketing teams, that three-way discussion where you're really bringing in more aspects of what the consumer does and what the consumer needs and how the consumer shops in a store, it can do nothing but increase the value proposition for the promotional content itself. Is it smarter to do a display? Is Do we have the right promotion? Do we have the right pricing? And do we have the right price incentive? Are we doing this at the right time? Do we have the right promoted product groups here? Those kinds of questions all come together, I think, in a, in a smarter way. Everybody is going to value from that. Certainly the retailer is going to sell more product. The promotions are going to be more um more uh, uh, successful, and together, every one of that of those three collaborative teams learns more about how to do this properly. So I think that's the incentive for the retailer to actually share a little bit more of that data. And I don't, I don't see, I don't see that the the, um, the negativeness that I've seen over the years. I I actually do see more effort by the retailers to share more information, the willingness to let that go. And that's a good thing, I think, for the whole industry. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, apart from the fact that it can make the whole process efficient, it's also great for customer experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you know, one area uh, which is a pain point is in terms of, uh, you know, reconciliations and settlements and the process around it when you know deductions are made by retailers and uh, distributors um, based on what they think uh, you know whether a promotion and based on whatever is the outcome of a promotion right and uh, and it's a, it's a source of pain because uh, cpg companies and fmcg companies struggle with ensuring that uh, you know uh, the reconciliations and uh, balancing is done right uh, what does the and I believe there's a lot of manual work, manual reconciliation, waste of time that happens in this, right? Notwithstanding also a level of, uh, you know, financial losses and heartburn. So uh, what, what according to you, is the uh, type of quantum and some of the reasons for this? Okay, so you just hit the third rail of trade promotion. 
um, deduction and deduction management is a is a serious issue, and it's uh, it, it's it's been that way for decades. Um, here's the thing: if if you think about the way a deduction comes in and in about why the process exists, here's here's typically what happens: once the deal is done. And the details of that deal, that it would be the granular level or the line items of each tactic, each timing, each product um, uh, that's that's part of that part of that promotion gets transmitted and accepted. Um, the problem exists where you have multiple systems that that has to flow through. So ideally, the. Um, the order management of the manufacturer would take the trade promotion deal, would would send it via EDI or whatever method of transmission they do to the order management system of the retailer, which in turn notifies the receiving organization within the dis, uh, distribution warehouse and so forth, as well as the accounts payable organization that's going to create, that's going to cut the check to pay the bill, right? So all of those, and, and then you've got the manufacturer's invoicing that also has to have that level of granular detail on it so that all these systems are talking to each other, but they don't. And that's just the fact. So that that is a that is a, a problem that exists that creates the need for the manufacturer to have the burden of proof, if you will, or the burden of responsibility to actually identify that, that deduction. The other problem is, when those deductions get taken off the remittance by the retailer, they're not always in the exact form or fashion that you would see in the trade promotion. So the amount of work that the that the deduction specialist has to do to understand or to search or research what that deduction is is pretty significant. Even with trade promotion management technology that has some sophisticated matching deduction matching capability, they're matching it to the to the trade promotion plan, correct? So as a result of that, the difficulty is that that's not always going to be matching with what deductions they received or the data that they got. Um, a lot of companies have been working with their retail counterparts to help transfer identifications of the actual trade promotion across so that that ID might come through in the deduction. And when that happens, that that helps to at least kind of bring down some of the focus to a particular trade promotion, but not necessarily a particular tactical line item in that trade promotion or an amount, right? And so that therein lies the problem. So it's going to be continually manual until the entire process and all of those systems are actually aligned and can transfer that data in and out. And we're not there yet. We've got a way to go. Um, I'm pleased to see some of the technology, though, uh, in on the manufacturer side in the trade promotion settlement arena that's coming about. And a lot of companies have spent a lot of time and, and effort to build better systems. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the future looks a little brighter than it used to. But it's still a problem, and it's still, it still it still causes a headache for financial people and trade and salespeople all over the place. Understood. Now you know, uh, as consumers have started becoming more omni in the way they shop, right? Uh, 
so have CPG and FMCG companies. They've also been morphing from being purely B2B companies selling through retailers and distributors and you know e-commerce marketplaces to having their own uh, you know B2C channels through their own e-commerce website apps etc. Right. Uh, so how do you uh, see one the changes in the way the trade promotion uh, organizations and the consumer marketing organizations will need to work together in the new world? Uh, and uh, number two, uh, you know, what is it that they can FMCG companies can do uh, to better understand their end customers, given that now they have a, a direct line of sight with at least some of them and some of their purchases? Well, it, it manufacturers have to walk that tightrope, and it is. And 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 you're absolutely right. On the one hand, um, we've seen through the pandemic the amount of increase and in, and in, uh, Amazon, Alibaba, um, and 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 independent, um, you know, e-commerce sites, right? But we've also seen as a factor of just. Um, uh, requirement, the big retailers have to go more to their e-commerce. So, for example, the shoppers didn't want to come into the store for fear of catching COVID, right? So you saw all of these buy online, pick up at store types of routines where the where you just drive your car and you park and you text a, a notice and say, hey, I'm here, bring my groceries out. And you've already ordered your groceries. Somebody's already pulled them off the shelves. They walk in and they load your car and you drive off. Those kinds of things we're seeing increase. And that's important. And that's a that's a, a really nice thing for a lot of people to have. And I don't think that's going away. That's not a that's not something that, you know, once the pandemic's over, everybody's going back to because a lot of people like that. Um, having said that, though, um, the the brick and mortar retail organizations and wholesaler and distributors have to deal with the growth and the, the fact that they've been hit very hard with online Amazon and Alibaba kind of ordering and distribution. And so to combat that, uh, you're seeing, I think, a little bit more of an effort to want to collaborate with the the manufacturer to actually build up the idea that let's make it an event for the consumer to walk into our store um give them something more than just just dialing online picking up uh you know and ordering something and having it delivered um so it it, it takes a little bit of uh, flexibility and a lot of creativity to make this happen but i think you're starting to see a little bit of that as far as trade promotion is concerned um that that sort of gets to the point that I made in my book about how trade promotions need to fi need to to understand what the consumer is. Look, trade promotion is is typically called improperly so I believe B to B. Okay, um, it, it's it's money going from the manufacturer to the retailer. That's B to B and that's legit. Okay, but as I said, the real the real stream is B to B to C. And that C is where we need to focus. And and so even though they have their own direct-to-consumer marketing and their direct direct-to-consumer distribution, you have to you have to package that with the B2B to C part of it, which is trade promotion, right? To be able to actually um, align with, and I said this before in the in, in, in the you know the the problem that we see in uh, in failing to align with marketing 
to bring that single message, that single um, uh, position of the product into the into the mind of the consumer. And on the other side of that, we have to be better at understanding what the consumer needs. So the again, the reason to collaborate with the manufacturer as I mean the marketing organization as well as the retailer is to understand the mind of the consumer and actually put more emphasis on the quality of the trade promotion itself to to answer and solve the problems that these um, the, the consumers looking for to get when they walk in the store. So I think that's where that's where B to B to C has to stay relevant for everybody that wants to make this thing successful. Valid point, valid point. So now, you know, there are a lot of advancements in AI and ML techniques. There is, you know, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, a lot of models are available. Uh, you know, there is a, uh, there, there is a uh, you know, uh, phenomenal level of capability available there. We also spoke of the uh, you know criticality of data uh, to be able to leverage uh, you know those ANML uh, approaches. Now, uh, in your book, you've defined about what uh, you know real successful customer engagement looks like, right? Uh, so, what would be some of those components um, that a FMCG or a CPG company can use to reach that stage of you know successful customer engagement? Yeah, I call it, it, it um, what the book does really is kind of build up to this last chapter, if you will, it, that is what I call the dimensions of knowledge. And, and it, you know, it's you can almost see all kinds of different waterfall charts or, or step step charts of where it takes to get to analytics uh, heaven, you know, or whatever. But but in, but what I did was I said, look, I think based on what I've seen, in, um, in my experience, there are four fundamental areas, four fundamental stages of this knowledge that, that uh, manufacturers are going to go through. One is what I call foundational, which is basically where everybody is today, right? The ability to do certain things and, and have, have some automation. The second stage is optimized. And we're starting to see, especially in the trade promotion side, um, optimization tools being put in. But again, we mentioned the data. The data granularity has to be fixed. We have to get better with data, more current, more granular levels for these sophisticated uh, artificial intelligence machine learning engines to actually work. And so that's that's what we're seeing now. And it's a lot of the time that I spend in the marketplace working with um, my clients to help them understand what data to capture, how do they, uh, where do they need to get that, and what, and what level, and what, what level of granularity. The, the, so I, I think maybe 10, 15 percent of the of the manufacturers are sort of on that second level, and in the third stage is what I call prescriptive, and nobody really is there. Uh, there's a lot of people talking about it. There's a lot of people who say that their systems are prescriptive. The good news is we understand what that means as opposed to predictive, right? So predictive is this is what we think is going to happen. Prescriptive is this is what's going to happen and what we need to do when it happens and how it and how it transforms from there. And as I said, I can't I can't think of anybody, even some of the biggest FMCG companies that I can literally say, based on everything that prescriptive is, you're there. I don't think so. The fourth dimension is what I call engaged. 
Now, the, you asked the question, well, what does that mean and how does that put together? And I would say, first of all, it's it, it's a singular, integrated, consumer-driven revenue growth management platform. That's with all of the capabilities in place, everyone aligned, no siloed data somewhere. It's all feeding into the integrated business plan across the entire organizational structure and the manufacturer. It is also shareable with retail and distribution customers, right? To the to the degree that that as I progress day after day after day and every one of the um, uh, quarters and months that I work through that I can measure success, right? Second is integration. It, it the, the integration is solid. All of the key point of sale data coming through, all of the external sources, Nielsen, information resources, NPD, all of the various data providers, um, retail velocity data coming through, and no, those kinds of issues that that enable a seamless transition of data in and out of the marketplace. And I think that that also has a lot to do with Internet of Things, the big capability of being able to understand how do people use their products in the marketplace and, and then all the way back into the manufacturing and, and logistics side, understanding how quickly and how to smooth out the entire value chain, right? Um, I, look at, I look at dynamic baselines. Baseline is one of the biggest problems we have, and they're very rarely updated more than a couple of times a year. The, the, but, but baselines change. People change. The market changes. The environment changes. And we've seen that over the last three years. And so I think that, that when you get to a point where your demand planning and your demand data is coming in and it's good data, it's solid data, and everybody understands that, that baseline can change a little bit because that's what ex, that's what defines incremental profit and incremental volume and incremental revenue. And if if that is st is stuck in one place and we just keep going up and down, it's not really a very valid um, problem. Now, the CFOs say this all the time, right? So that's one of the areas there we need to get to. Um, and then I think I, I think the the whole proactive supplier relationships, the 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 ability to actually bring together that entire value chain under one seamless umbrella of data and transformation, um, that's that's when you've reached that point. Now I call it engaged because only then do you know what the what the effect of a trade promotion is going to be on the consuming public. What they need it, where they need it, where they're going to shop, how they're going to shop, what demographic areas to do. And that's when you get granular enough and smart enough with your technology that you can actually attract a consumer to your store or to your site or wherever it is um, in, in a very specific way. The e-commerce people are doing that pretty well today. But I think that needs to become universal in the way everyone runs this. And so once you've achieved that, that's a pretty uh, pretty nice thing, and if you want to know how exactly to do that, you got to read the book. Okay, I'm I'm sure I would recommend to our listeners that they should read the book. Uh, it is a very insightful book. Thank um, you. Yeah, and and like you said, in Tesco, we used to say you know farm to fork, uh, and understanding that you know flow of uh, um, uh, you know flow of how the you know goods uh, you know traverses from the farm to the fork. But like you said, using uh, IoT data and all that, one can even understand the 
consumption by customers and you know have the reverse understanding of information flowing back and that balance is how you know one would get to uh, using it uh, you know for for getting to that engaged level as you rightly absolutely. put it absolutely absolutely um once again uh, you know thank you for making time uh, and talking to us on expert talk uh, it was a real pleasure having you uh, for this chat thank you rob thank you maha appreciate it appreciate the opportunity and um, good luck to you and 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 uh, to everyone listening and have a great great year thank you